we'll be looking this evening at verses number 14, 15, and 16. Verses 14, 15, and 16. What we actually have in the next coming weeks is Paul's transition from our practical action in life, so to speak, to our assurance of salvation and our assurance of glorification. Or I guess it could be phrased our anticipation of glorification. He starts to point out to us what's coming. So we've seen from Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 what we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And we notice throughout this text he is pointing us in a specific direction. Once we get to about chapter, or about verse number 29 through the end of the chapter, we'll be talking specifically about glorification, but Paul needs to cover some things before he actually gets there. So we'll look at, go ahead and read verse 14, 15, and 16. The Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we do look down through the text, I had mentioned before, the word for, F-O-R, comes up a lot in this text. And Paul isn't doing anything different than he's done as we've made our way through the first seven chapters that we've made through. But we see the beginning verses in verse number two. He says four. Verse number three, he says four. Verse number five, he says four. Verse number six, he says four. Verse number 13, he says four. Verse number 14, he says four. Verse number 15, he says four. So all through those, those verses of Scripture that we have gone through over the past couple Sunday weeks, Paul uses that same word for, which we understand, and we've talked about already, means because. So Paul is continuing to explain himself. If we were to look at what Paul talked about last week, he said, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live after the Spirit... Do mortify the body, the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, are Spirit of God, they are sons of God. So Paul is saying because of what he had just said in verse number 13, verse number 14 is true, and because of what Paul said in verse number 15, verse number 14 is true. He's, he's, he's working out an argument to explain to us that we are no longer under the bondage of sin that we were under at one point in time in our life. The other thing I want to point out as we kind of get started is there are two statements that are made in reference to the Spirit in these three verses of Scripture that are many times misinterpreted because we like to do for some reason what a lot of other people in the world like to do, and that's like we like to pull verses out of Scripture away from their context, kicking and screaming, and misapply them to something else. And we'll see kind of what Paul's talking about, because if we take these verses in context, and that's one of the beauties about working through the scriptures as the scriptures are written, we can't pull verses out of context. We can't pull things out that God hasn't said if we're just reading what God said. But there are going to be two verses, and we'll look at those as we go through. So tonight we want to look at the leading of the Spirit from verse number 14, the liberating of the Spirit from verse number 15, and the assurance of the Spirit, or the assurance that the Spirit gives us from verse number 16. So verse number 14, we see that the Spirit leads us. In verse number 14, he said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are sons of God. The word led by, it indicates to us 
that the Spirit isn't a tool or a weapon that we use, but He is a person that we are trusting. He says that we're led by the Spirit. He doesn't say that we take the Spirit and lead ourselves or we are walking hand in hand and going whichever way we want and the Spirit's just coming with us. But it says that if we are the sons of God, we are led by the Spirit. And that's one of the verses that we see misapplied many times in different contexts. What Paul has just said, though, should give us an indication what he's talking about. Paul has just said that if we, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. So if Paul has just said that the Spirit is going to be the means or the energy that we mortify the deeds of the body, then why would he be saying something completely different in the very next statement? And the odds are is he's not. We see that led by the Spirit... And we can also notice that it's not him in our hands, but it's us in his hands. And again, Paul is going to make an analogy to us being sons or children of God in these verses of Scripture. So what we get the idea of is the same thing that happens whenever me and Rowan may be walking down the sidewalk. Rowan has my hand, but... More than that, I have his hand. And he may think he knows where he's going, and he may go where he thinks he wants to go, but he is being led, protected, and restrained by me. And that's what we see in the Spirit. We are led, protected, and restrained by the leading of the Spirit. If we are children of God, he is leading us into a specific direction. And we can see two of those things here in this verse of Scripture. Number one, it says, if we are led by the Spirit, pointing us back to verse number 13, then we, He is leading us into holiness. He is leading us to Christ-likeness. What the Spirit does in our life is He is leading us, He is taking us to a place where we look more like Christ. He is taking us to a place where we are looking more like God would have us look. Galatians 5 and verse number 16, it references to us that we are to walk in the Spirit. One of the analogies, and I, I know I'm, I have a weird mind, so I come up with weird analogies sometimes, but the analogy that Paul gives of walking in the Spirit and seeing things happen would be almost the same as if I were to be dropped off in somewhere in Antarctica with the clothes I have on right now. I'm walking in Antarctica with what I'm wearing now. And that's, what, that's what's happened to us. We have been transported from death unto life. And Paul tells us in Galatians, again in Galatians 5 verse 16, that we're walking in the Spirit. Now, if I am walking in Antarctica with what I have on right now, there's some things that are going to happen to me very, very quickly. I'm going to get really cold, and you're going to start to see the effects of me becoming really cold. And that's what Paul is conveying here in the same way that he was conveying that to the Galatian church. If we are being led by the Spirit... We are by default walking in the Spirit. And if we are walking in the Spirit, we can't help but get cold and show the effects of getting cold. Or, spiritually speaking, we can't help but become more like Christ and show the effects of becoming more like Christ. If the Spirit is leading us, it's not going to lead us in a direction that is not like Christ. And we have that assurance that if, if we are the children of God, he is going to lead us into Christ-likeness, into holiness, and not into necessarily giving somebody a gallon of milk on the side of the road because we felt just prompted to do that. And I'm not saying that those things don't happen, but here specifically, being led by the Spirit is pointing us to something greater than an urge or a prompting, is pointing us 
to becoming Christ-like. It's pointing us to living in holiness. It's pointing us to mortifying the deeds of the flesh. We looked at last week, actually, the Spirit getting rid of that old nature, of those old parts of us, of those old habits that we had. And that's what the Spirit's continuing to do with us when He leads us. He's leading us into into holiness. He's leading us into actively pursuing being like Christ. And again, we may see it from our perspective like Rowan sees it from his perspective. Rowan may be running specifically to a specific specific place, and that may be very well where we're going. He may not be aware of my leading at times, but we are going to that place. We're going to the place that I have set out for us to go. And in that same way, if we're being led by the Spirit, we are going to the place that he has set out for us to go. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. He said that in this verse of Scripture... It's not so much about the actions of obedience, but the energy behind obedience. We understand that the energy behind our obedience is the Spirit from verse number 13. That's that's how these things happen. Us being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit are going to see these things take place in our life. But it's pointing us to the energy behind that leading, not our steps so much in that leading, if that makes sense. So if we're going to become Christ-like, it's not so much that we are pointing to you must do this, you must wear this, you must say this, you must go here, you must not go here. It's pointing us to the energy behind which produces those things. There are places that we shouldn't go. There are things that we shouldn't do. There are specific stuff that we shouldn't wear, specific things that we shouldn't say. All of these things are the case But as we looked at last time, these things are progressive. And what we're pointing to in assurance of our salvation and in assurance of the salvation of others is the energy behind what is making those things happen, not just those things that are happening. And again, I know we covered some of that last week. So he leads us into holiness, which we pull from verse number 13. But in the second part of the verse... He leads us into a gospel confirmation. I know last week we looked at a gospel obligation, and this would be a gospel confirmation. And we see that in the end of verse number 14. He says, if we're led by the Spirit, for as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So he's pointing us into a confirmation of who we are. And Paul says that they are the sons of God. And earlier in verse number 14, he says that they are led. This is a present tense action. This is something that's happening today. Until we are glorified, we will be led by the Spirit, whether we at some times may buck that authority. He's not letting go of us. He's promised that he wouldn't let go of us. And we are sons of God. There's nothing that we can do to make the Spirit let go of his leading us. And there's nothing that we can do to get rid of who we are. And the one thing that I did notice in this verse is Paul says that he's leading us into holiness and leading us into this gospel confirmation. He's not compelling us to do these things. He's leading us in them. The song, I know that one of the songs that we could have sung tonight is He Leadeth Me. Through everything in our life, He is leading. He's not behind us driving us to go certain places and driving us to do certain things, but He is leading us in those things. He is a present, He's a present, the Bible says He is a present help in trouble. He is there helping us. He's a current and a present activity that's happening in our life. And it points to God's work in us and not our work for God. Because he is leading. All of these things, and if you don't mind, we'll turn over to Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 2. All of these things point us to what he is doing Again, it's not, it's not pointing us to ourselves. 
is pointing us to God and the activity of God. And that's the one thing that I think that we have a tendency to to head in a different direction with. We're all fine with saying that God, God made the first step in salvation, but we want to try and pile on things in our sanctification. Whereas if we take the scriptures literally and take them biblically, then we'll understand that God is not only leading in salvation, but he's leading in our sanctification as well. But in chapter number 3, verse number 2 of Galatians, the Bible says, This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the works of the flesh? Paul is saying here to the Galatian church that it's the Spirit. He's pointing them again to the action of the Spirit. And he's even saying to them, are you, have you gotten salvation by the Spirit? And now you're setting that aside to try and gain sanctification in another way. But what he's doing in the book of Romans and what he ultimately does in the book of Galatians is he points us to the leading of the Spirit in the gospel. He's pointing the Galatians the same way he pointed the Romans, back to Christ. He's pointing them back to the gospel. Ephesians, he's doing the same thing in that section of scripture. He's pointing them back to who they are. He said that all these things are going to happen because you're being led by the Spirit and because the Spirit is leading you and teaching you and telling you that you are the sons of God. Ultimately, the motivation that we see for our gospel obligation in verse number 13, the motivation that we see for us mortifying the deeds of the body is who we are. It's the same thing that Paul carries out throughout all of his epistles in the New Testament. And it's the same thing that we see Peter and John and James and Jude, all of these authors of our biblical canon in the New Testament are all telling us the same thing. Forget about what you're doing and remember who you are. If you remember who you are, it's going to produce everything else. And that's what Paul is saying specifically in verse number 14. He's pointing to... The Spirit's leading. The Spirit himself is only going to ever lead us to Christ. And he's only going to ever lead us to be like Christ. Jesus himself, he said that when the Spirit comes, he will teach you of me. So we know the work of the Spirit in the life of a Christian is to illuminate the scriptures and show us Christ. So why would the work of the Spirit in our life and the leading of the Spirit be anything other than showing us Christ and making us like Christ? That's how the Spirit leads us. In verse number 15, we see that the Spirit liberates us. Verse number 15, it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry... Abba, Father. We haven't been led back into slavery. That's what we see in this first part of verse number 15. He says that you have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear. Paul is remembering what he's written. We were in bondage to sin. We have have covered that through chapters 5 and chapter number 6. That's where we were. We were slaves to sin. When we thought we would do better, sin said, nope, you're a slave to me and you're going to do what I say. When we thought that we would try and reform ourselves, sin took out the whip and we found ourselves again stuck in whatever sin, whatever addiction, whatever way of life that we were in before we came to Christ. And even in chapter 7, Paul still finds himself in aspects of that because he has set aside who he is and he's looking to the law to try and make himself better, even after salvation. And he becomes a tired, tired, wretched man. But we've not been given the spirit of slavery, the spirit of bondage. This points us to Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2 says that all of humanity throughout all of their lives have been slaves to one thing. 
And that was the fear of death. And if you remember, what does Paul say about Jesus Christ? He said he's seated at the right hand of God until the, his enemies be made his footstool. The last enemy that's to be defeated is death. Hebrews says that Christ came to relieve us from that fear of death. And what did we read in verse number 13? He said, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. He's saying that life you had after the flesh, it was leading you to death. Hebrews tells us death is what we fear. And that's true. Basically everything we do is to get us out of dying. Even honestly, even those who commit suicide many times are attempting to get out of the fear of death. That death sometimes even becomes better than the fear of death. But we see from the scriptures that we've not been given that bondage of fear. Again, Paul is not, he's not, he's not changing. He's not changing horses mid-ride. He's not changing ships midstream. He's saying the same thing. He's saying that we've not been given the spirit of bondage to fear. That, that same bondage that we were in under the flesh. Because that was taking us to death. What Paul is pointing to us from verse number 14, we are the sons of God, so... We've not received the bondage of fear. Or because we're the the sons of God, we've not received the bondage of fear. And we've not received that bondage of fear because it's already been judged. The sin that drives us to that bondage of fear, the sin that we are in that bondage to, has already been judged. It's been taken away. So Paul's saying we've been liberated from that. Why would God put you back in it? You've been liberated from the works of the flesh. God's not given you the spirit to do the works of the flesh again. You've been liberated from having to keep the law to gain salvation. Why would God put you back under the law again? And that's what he's saying to the Galatian church. He's saying, you were liberated from that. Why would you go back to it? He says He says in chapter number 3, he begins the chapter by saying, you foolish Galatians. He's like, y'all are not listening to anything that I'm saying. God is not changing his mind on how he's working in you. He's not saying you can't fulfill the law to gain salvation before he saved you. And he's not saying that you're going to gain some kind of sanctification to the law after he saved you. You're not in that bondage. Again, looking at chapter number 7, sin gains its strength through the law. That's what Paul is he's pointing us to in this verse of Scripture. He's saying you're not under bondage to fear. Don't be scared. Don't worry. That's not the bondage you're under now. He says you're not under bondage to fear, but you're under sonship. You've been made sons. You're adopted. 1 John 4, verse number 18, says that there is no fear... In love. And that's what Paul is pointing us to in this section of scripture. He's saying you are now sons of God in verse number 14. And you've been given the spirit of adoption. Paul's pointing us back to the love of God. And there's no fear in love. We ought not be scared that we're not doing enough for God. We ought not be worried that God is disappointed in us. Because we are in his son and he can't be disappointed with his son. We've been given the spirit of adoption. This is the liberty that Christ talks about. He says, if the son makes you free, you sh- you're free indeed. You can't be any freer. It's the liberty, it's the sonship that God has given us. We understand that God is our Lord. We understand that. But even more than that, He is our Father. Our sonship is held in a higher esteem than our obligation to lordship, if that makes sense. 
Paul's saying that God didn't come in to lord himself over you. And he also tells Titus, he said, you ought not lord over the flock of God. Paul, and I know that's a side note, but Paul says, if God's not lording over you, then you ought not lord over his people. That was free. But he says that sonship is held above lordship. If we're going to look at ourselves in terms of who we are, we're not looking at God as a taskmaster or as someone who's lording over us, but we're looking at him as a father. That's how we should see ourselves. We should look at him as our father and us as his son. The word adoption in verse number 15, it does carry along with it our thoughts of adoption, but the word that Paul uses is very specific. The word literally means son placing. It brings with it to make an heir. It's not just that God has said, I'm going to make you my son. Because God could have adopted a son, or even physically speaking, we can adopt a son and never write that son into our will. I could go and adopt somebody today and treat that adopted son while legally he's my son. I could treat him as though he's not my son. But that's not the word that Paul uses. He said we've been given the spirit of adoption or son placing And we'll see that next week as we move along through the scriptures. But we have been made an heir to God. God not only has brought us into his family, but he has given us everything he has. Every promise that is yes and amen in Christ Jesus has been given to us through that spirit of adoption. It's not a spirit of fear. It's not a spirit of slavery. It's a spirit of sonship. It's a spirit of adoption. Adoption is a term of standing. Legally, adoption is a term of standing before. This the same exact way that justification is a term. We understand when we hear that we have been justified, it means that we stand before God justified. It means that we stand before God without sin. God looks at us. He looks at Christ, he takes the righteousness of Christ and places it on us, and that's justification. We are now without sin, and God looks at us just like he looks at Christ. So our salvation is completely done, taking place. It's already there just as if it was always that way. But what this word adoption, in in the term that Paul uses, he uses it as that same legal standing. When God looks at you, In Christ, he looks at you justified. But what Paul is saying, that we have been given a spirit of adoption, Paul is pointing us to sanctification too. And he's saying God looks at you just like you're sanctified. There is no difference in our standing before God. It's not that we are saved and we're saved from that wrath to come, but God is still going to pour out wrath on us when we disobey and misbehave in this life. But when God looks at us, he looks at us as if we are living perfectly. And what in the world should that motivate us to do? If God sees me sinless, I should desire to live that way. And guess what? That's the way the Spirit's leading me. The Spirit is leading me. To be practically in this life the same way that God sees me spiritually. God doesn't see every single time that I fail and every single time that I sin in a sense that he is going to hold that over top of me. He sees me in Christ. And the Spirit's work in me, while there are times that there is correction that happens, guess who does it? The one that's leading me. God's not, again, God has poured out all of his wrath already for the sins of those that are in Christ. He knows the beginning from the end and everyone that's in Christ, he's already poured out all of his wrath. There's nothing left. Christ took every drop of that wrath for us. 
And if he has done that, then why would we think that God looks at us in any other way than in Christ? It doesn't make any sense for God to see us in any other way. We're standing adopted, and the Spirit, the Spirit is leading us to our heavenly home. He is leading us to that city that is made without hands. And on the way, when we need correcting, he pulls us in. When we need protection, he covers us. When we need direction, guess what? He's the one who's directing us because he is leading us in that spirit of adoption. That is the promise of the spirit that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. He says that we have been sealed with the spirit of promise. We're being led by the promise of God. And that is the spirit that we've been given. In Ephesians 1 and chapter number 5, it says that God has predestined that we will become what he wants us to be. Actually, let's just turn over to it real quick. Ephesians 1, verse number 5. Ephesians 1, verse number 5, it says, Having predestined us unto what? The adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Why? According to to the good pleasure of his will. This was a deliberate choice. God didn't go through the orphanage and say, well, he seems like he would be pretty good, and I think I could train him pretty well. And this guy right here, he, he's kind of attractive, so I'm going to take these three because of what I think they'll be. No. Paul, Paul tells us that God has come in. He's taken the vilest, the lowly, the poor, the unlearned, all the ones that nobody else wants, God has taken them deliberately and has predestined. That means nobody's changing it. It's going to happen. God predestined that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Is there anybody who could have got in the way of Christ being born in Bethlehem? There isn't. And God has predestined that we will be his sons. Is there anybody who's getting in the way of that? There's not. Not even us. Exactly. Not even us. We can't even get in the way of God's plan for us. Adoption gives us the privilege where regeneration gave us the nature. Paul has told us in verse number six, or chapter number 6 that we've been given that new nature. The old man died in Christ. We're resurrected in the new man to live in the newness of life. Again, point us back to life, not to death. But even in that, our nature has changed. But God didn't stop there. He said, not only am I going to save you, or not only are you going to be born again, but you're going to get all the privileges that Christ has. You're going to get all the privileges of a, of a, of a begot son. This is a greater mercy than even Adam had. God made Adam in the garden. Adam was perfect. The garden was perfect. Everything was perfect. He even would come in the cool of the evening. But Adam didn't have the same privilege that we had because Adam wasn't Christ. Adam, after he sinned and God slew a lamb, was more privileged than before he sinned in a garden that was perfect. Because Adam gained the adoption of sons that we live in today. We have been adopted and we've been given that mercy that Adam got, that Noah got, that Abraham got. Everywhere down throughout the line of every child of God, we have that same privilege. Because we are in Christ. So this not only points us to the spirit of adoption... In the latter part of verse number 15, but it also points us to who we cry. And I'll be honest, when I was studying over this this week, there was something that, that kind of came to mind. And, and it's, it's something that, it, it, honestly, it brought my mind back to when Reese was born. When Reese was born, I don't know if anybody else experienced this at all, probably not, but when Reese was born... I was so stressed out over how am I going to react when they hand me a baby, 
How am I supposed to do any of this? I was so stressed out over those, those types of things. And all the, honestly, all that came pretty naturally, which I'm thankful for. But the one thing that took me a long time to get used to was to call him son. And again, that, that may just be have just been me. But in my mind, my thought process was, I am not ready to be a father. I am not capable to be a father. It took a long time for it to register in my mind that I was his father. Not, and you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying I, I knew whenever he came out that he was mine. There's, there's the way he acts, the things he says, the way he looks. There's no denying who he belongs to. But for me, it was hard for me to call him son without it sounding weird because I didn't feel worthy to be a father and I didn't feel worthy to have a son. And in that same way, I often find myself coming to God and saying, Father, and it's just not sounding right. But there's a reason. Because I'm looking at myself. I'm looking and saying, I am not worthy to be a son. I don't have any right to come to God and say, Father, I need to come to God and say, Lord. Or come to God and say, God. Because I'm not worthy to be a son. But that's the point. None of us are worthy to be called children of God. But we have been given a spirit of adoption that allows us to come to God and cry, Father. And that's what he says right in the text. He says we have been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And this, word, this word Abba, it means Father. It means we're, we're coming to God, we're crying, Father, Father. But it's an intimate cry. It's not a... It's not, a, it's not like we would think where, you know, you hear Catholics reciting the Lord's Prayer and they say, Our Father which art in heaven. It's not that kind of father. It's the same kind of father that my kids come. They say, Dad. That's the kind of father, that, that's the kind of privilege that we have with God. It doesn't matter what king there is on earth. His son has privileges to come to him whenever he wants and ask him for anything he wants or ask him for help with anything. That's the privilege of a son. And we have been given the privilege of adopted sons with God. That even when I come to God and I don't feel worthy to call him father and I don't feel worthy to be his son, I am able to come to him and to cry father with an intimacy to him that I don't feel like I should have. I can come to him even after days that I have failed over and over, not in a penalty box, but come to him because he looks at me in love because of the privileges that he has given me in Christ. He's not going to unadopt me. He's not going to cast me aside. He's not going to take away the rewards that we have in Christ because we are his. And he's deliberately predestined that we would be his. There's times that we come to him in, fe in fear, in pain, even times that we come to him in praise. But in, in all of these aspects, we can come to God calling him Father because that is the privilege that he has bestowed on us, not the privilege that we have attained. And that's the Spirit's work. The Spirit of adoption teaches us whose we are, and he fills our lungs with the ability to cry, Father. Even the cry, Father, doesn't come from my own ability. The Spirit is giving me the ability to see who I am and to call on Him from the basis from whose I am. Honestly, this was the answer to the statement that Paul made in chapter 7 and verse number 24. And I know we referenced that last week from verse number 13. But in chapter 7, verse number 24, Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Paul had no one to cry to in that verse because he was looking to the law to, to sanctify him. He was tired. Again, I know when we looked at that, we pointed it to the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church, was, they were law keepers. They listened but they were tired. The Bible says that they were wretched. Christ himself called them wretched. And what he meant by wretched wasn't that they were disgusting, but that they were tired. They were overworked. 
Paul was tired and overworked because he had been trying to stay a Christian and stay in that privilege of adoption that God had given him by the works of the law. He said, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? But in verse number 15, he points us to what we do in those positions. We have been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. When we are in the position that we look at ourselves and we just say, I can't do this anymore. I can't live the way I'm supposed to anymore. I can't do the things I'm supposed to. We have a Father and we've been given the ability to cry to Him and say, God, I cannot do this. And God speaks back to us and says, you don't have to do this because I am leading you in the way that I want you to go. I'm doing this for you. When Rowan looks at me and says, I can't walk anymore, guess what? He doesn't have to because I'm the one who's got a hold of him. If need be, I can pick him up and carry him for as long as he needs to be carried. And God is much stronger than I am. God can pick us up and carry us for as long as we need to be carried because we've been given that kind of privilege. If we remember back in the, in the book of Isaiah, what did the angels, what were, they, what were they circling the throne saying? The angels in heaven are circling the throne of God saying, holy, 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 and he is. But we have a privilege even greater than the angels have. The angels cry to God, holy, holy, but we can cry to God, Father, Father. That's a greater privilege than any other being on the face of this earth or any other earth or any universe that we can call the God of heaven Father. Not holy, even though he is, but we have been given the privilege to call him Father. And that's been given us by the Spirit. Verse number 16, we see that the Spirit assures And the Spirit assures us in two basic ways. Verse number 16, he says that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. And how many times have I and everybody else taken that verse out of context? I'll I'll make the statement, well, that guy was probably saved because, you know, our spirits just bore witness with each other. That's not what Paul was saying. The witness of the Spirit isn't for other people. It's for me. He says in verse number 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. How? Why? What does he do? That we are the children of God. God doesn't care if I walk up to somebody else and and know if he's saved. God wants me to know that I'm saved. That's why I've been given the Spirit. Not for me to tell what other people are saved, but so that he can tell me that I'm a son of God. That I've been given the adoption. That I'm a partaker of the gospel. We see the testimony of the Spirit. The Spirit itself, He doesn't send somebody else to do it. It's not the Bible reading every single day that tells us we're a Christian. It's not the prayer life every single day that tells us we're a Christian. It's not the good life that we've lived that tells us we're a Christian. It's the Spirit, the one who's leading us. He says, I'm leading you. You're fine because you're mine. It's all okay. He's bearing witness with us that we are the sons of God. And even notice that Paul even says we are the children of God. He says the word son throughout here, but he changes it to children here in verse number 16. I'm not sure why he does that. So if anybody else finds out, you can let me know. But he changes his wording from son to children. Verse number 16, begin verse number 16, he testifies to us. How does the, how does the Spirit testify to us that where he is? He does it in three main ways. He testifies to us through the scriptures. When we read the scriptures and we see Christ and we see what he's done for us and we see who we are, that's the spirit testifying in us that we're the sons of God. When we read in the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning that we've been reconciled to God through Christ and this is what it gives us, Inside of us, there's something bearing witness to that, saying, that's me. This is me. I get get part of this. There's something in me. When when I was studying this section of Scripture, and even as I'm reading this Scripture, there's something in me that's saying, that's you. These are your privileges. That's the Spirit bearing witness through the Scriptures 
that where he is. He bears witness or he testifies through the cries that we produce. And we saw that in verse number 15. The Spirit bears witness in us that we're the sons of God because of the cries that the Spirit produces in us. When we can't do it, He points us to Christ. Just like He's pointed us to Christ in the Scriptures, He's pointing us to, to Christ in our failures. He's pointing us to Christ in our inability. He's pointing us to Christ when we can't make it happen ourselves. And then in thirdly, we see that the Spirit testifies to our spirit of the truth. And this actually even takes us back to what John said again. In 1 John, what did John say? And I dare you to go look up the context of what he's saying because it blew me away when I saw it. John says, try the spirits. Try the spirits. Make sure they're of God. For not every spirit that's coming to the world is of God. There are many spirits of Antichrist. The way that you know that the Spirit is of God is because he says that Jesus Christ is coming to the flesh. And that is truth. That is the gospel. When the Spirit testifies in us the gospel, we know that Spirit is of God. And that's part of that assurance. We have the Spirit testifying in us the truth of God. We know that we are the children of God because the scriptures that are spiritually discerned and the truth that is for some people is unable for them to grasp because these things are spiritually discerned and their mind is not spiritually discerned, that truth proves to us and assures us that we are the children of God. If we read the scriptures and we see the truth of God, it is the Spirit of God showing us what is true about us. Those are the three ways that he testifies to us. And then towards the end of verse number 16, he says, he testifies specifically that we are the children of God. He's giving us the assurance that we are God's children. He does it in ways. He cries, Abba, Father. He testifies in us. He bears witness to our spirit through those ways, but they're all pointing us back to one thing, and that's that we're God's children. Every truth in Scripture should be pointing us back to who we are. And I know that term has been used somewhere around this place for the past year or so. The scripture points us to Christ and who we are in Christ. That's what it does everywhere. If we're reading scripture and it's not pointing us to Christ and who we are in Christ, then that's where we need to pray and say, God, you're going to have to show me where this is pointing me to you. Donald Barnhouse put it this way, and I really couldn't come up with any better way to put it than this. He said that we need no inner light. We need no divine voice. We need no mystical feeling that tells us what to feel and not to think. The certain fact of our reception as sons of God must be based on the Word of God and will always be subject to the Spirit's joint witness in our life. Well, the Spirit's agreeing. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying here, he said that the Spirit bears witness to our spirit. So we have our spirit that has been brought to the newness of life and the Spirit of God, and they're both saying the same thing. They're bearing witness to one another. They're pointing us to the same direction. He's saying we don't need some kind of divine voice. We don't need to hear the the voice of God. We don't need to hear the speaking of God. We don't need to feel the presence of God. We don't need any of those things because we have the Word of God and the Spirit of God that bears witness to us from the Word of God. God is always pointing us to whose we are through the Scriptures in some way, shape, or form. He went on to say He does not bear witness to our spirit, but he bears witness with our spirit. And again, that's what, exactly what Paul said. He said that he bears witness with our spirit. It's not God saying, this is who you are. It's God agreeing with us and us agreeing with him about whose we are. If we've taken hold of the gospel, we've seen ourselves reconciled in Christ then we should know who we are. But the Spirit assures us by agreeing with us that same truth 
If we need to try the spirits, he's going to agree with the scriptures. And if we're the sons of God, we're going to agree with the scriptures. And then he went on to say that assurance is based on that inward conviction of our spirit and the agreeing of the spirit of God. And it's that same spirit, that spirit of adoption. There was one writer, he said that the the first and foremost title of the Spirit of God is the adopter. That's the Holy Spirit's title at the very top. It's the adopter. That's what he does. We've been given that spirit of adoption, that spirit of promise, that spirit that's pointing us to the gospel. And that's where we gain that assurance. So we know that the Spirit leads us, he liberates us, but he assures us that we are gods, that we are the children of God. And that's all we need. We don't need anybody coming up to us and telling us how good we are or how great of a Christian we are or how godly we are. We don't need parents or siblings or friends or coworkers or anybody telling us who we are. Because that assurance will die out really quickly. Somebody can come up and tell me how good I am and that assurance is going to die out the next time I do something wrong. Somebody can tell us how great a life I'm living, but that assurance is going to die out the next time I don't live that great life. But our assurance is found in somewhere a lot more concrete than our feelings. I, I can be in a great, I, we can be in a great service and leave, but as soon as that feeling wears off, we don't feel so great. We can feel more saved than anybody in the world in the middle of a service around the people of God. When we go to work the next day, we may not feel so assured. We may not feel so great. That may not have held on too long. But we've been given that inward conviction. We look at ourselves. We say, I know for a fact that I have seen myself reconciled to God. My trust is nowhere else but in Jesus Christ for my salvation. In the finished work, that's, that's, it's nowhere else. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about me. My conviction is that I have looked at Jesus Christ like the criminal on the cross and said, Lord, remember me. That's my conviction. That's what I did. No matter what anybody else says, that's what I did. And that's enough for assurance because inside of me, I've been given of a spirit of adoption that said, you're exactly right. Let's pray. We want to thank you for opportunity to open your word again. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house.